where I smile films present the shot. And now here are your hosts, Matt and Jesse. Welcome to the shot, everybody. We thought we'd tackle something that's a little bit out of the normal for us this week. No lists or best of or Mm -hmm. countdowns. This is just kind of a general state of things going forward with some of the big announcements that were made with video on demand. So this is some, some recounting of some numbers and then maybe some forecasting of, of what's coming. Yeah, in particular, the current state of movie theaters in relation to HBO Max, which is the kind of the big thing happening right now, yep. which is we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll get into all the details. But the movie theaters in an interesting state right now. And then just the way that, you know, Wonder Woman 84 was released. That was our first kind of major release uh, of this new format. We kind of got to wait and see how that's going to play out. So we're all just anxious spectators. I'm Michael Jackson and Thriller with the popcorn. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting. (laughs) So let's start with Wonder Woman 84 since you brought it up. Okay. Uh, The movie was delayed. I think the original date was November of, of 20, right? 19, 19, 19, and then to June 20, that's what my poster says, and then to Christmas, which it kind of got that. I guess they stuck to their date then, but the big announcement was that the day that it was going to be released, it would be released in a hybrid model on Christmas Day, in theaters where available, and then on demand everywhere else if you had HBO Max. The kicker on that would be, for the HBO Max going people through Roku or PlayStation, or if you had Xfinity, I guess they probably have it there uh, through HBO that way. It's free. That's an interesting enough premise. And it started off as a one-off. And then here's where things started to get really interesting with that. Can I go with that for a second? Yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. So the next bit of news was, yeah, let's start with Wonder Woman because we don't know what to do with it. And Christmas is fast approaching, but then, guess Warner Brothers got itchy trigger fingers and was like, well, we're moving all of 2021 to this format. So there's 17 film slate, which will hit HBO Max for a one month. That's the other thing, Matt. I don't know if you knew this. They're only there for 30 days. Right. So it's not going to be there for a couple months, and you can kind of just come to it whenever you please. So there is a, a finite amount of time you can watch this, but then to release same day available in the theaters. And just some of these films, The Suicide Squad, Matrix 4, Dune, Godzilla versus Kong, Space Jam, a new legacy, uh, whatever. But uh, Tom and Jerry, Mortal Kombat, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, The Many Saints of Newark, In the Heights, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I mean, there's some pretty substantial, Dune, how did I forget Dune? Some substantial releases in there that are going to see their theatrical window close because they're going to be on this format. I went through and found the big releases and the dates, so we can look at that and break each, not all of them down, because that's quite a list, but a good 10 of them. And then, because I specifically want to talk about the fourth quarter. Yeah. Because I think that there's some outs there if we need to get it. But Mm -hmm. let's go back to Wonder Woman 84 for a second. Yeah. The question with Wonder Woman 84 would be, if it's released VOD, what's the revenue piece going to look like? Because... Not all states have theater capacities and there would be no gate per ticket sales and, and merchandising stuff that way. Here's where things got interesting. Yeah. Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins made a side deal after the paperwork had been signed with Warner Brothers and HBO Max for Wonder Woman 84. After they'd made that agreement, 
they went back and each individually signed a $10 million contract for licensing and novelty rights going forward. So essentially, after HBO Max and Warner Brothers had carved out their working agreement, Warner Brothers and HBO Max, the executives, went behind closed doors and said, look, these two properties are really hot Mm -hmm. and we've got to find a way to make it right because oftentimes, and I would argue probably with Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. What will happen, especially from the actor side, is they'll defer some of their salary, put it back into the film, get executive producer credit, and get points on the back end that are worth way more than the contract. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like someone like Robert Downey Jr. makes already like 20 million on the Avengers, but his back end deal gets him net gross of the profits. And he takes home probably like 80 plus million dollars on Endgame alone. You know what I mean? So it's probably smart on that regard to negotiate something out of whatever, because there really isn't a back end for this, is there? Yeah, the gray area that you're referring to, I think, is Warner Media's hesitation to release what streaming numbers look like on HBO Max, and it's nearly impossible to tell because how are you to pinpoint faces in a household? Found some interesting numbers on that too. We'll get to in just a minute. Yeah. But this pissed off the rest of the Warner Brothers slate of talent, which includes currently mm-hmm. Denzel. Margot Robbie, Will Smith, Keanu Reeves, Hugh Jackman, and Angelina Jolie, just to name a few. That's not even to mention the main guy that's part of Dune and the whole legendary piece, which we're going to get to as well. Yeah. Wait a second, they all said. Mm -hmm. Gal Gadot is a more marketable star than any of the names I might have mentioned, and you can quibble with some of those choices. But if you're putting a face on a picture or like a face on a movie theater to open it, Man, <laughs> Gal Gadot's a start, I guess. Yeah. But really, that's the Wonder Woman piece that's the start. Anyway, this pissed all of them off, and Warner Brothers immediately went into spin control mode. Yeah. There's a ton with this, right? Mm-hmm. Let's take the let's address the elephant in the room first, and that's the financial piece in total. We've talked about this before, so this is nothing new. Mm-hmm. When a movie's released theatrically. If it doesn't win its weekend or have a really high grossing second place in the weekend, Mm -hmm. it's theater time is going to be very short run, right? It's going to be very few screens for very, very limited amount of time. That's the old model. Yeah. And that was, there was a competitive piece of that, but what was signed with each one of those films Mm -hmm. is essentially a non-competition clause for an opening weekend where nobody else, and the studios were in agreement with each other on this. Mm -hmm. That's why we get release dates so far in advance. We're going to give Infinity War this weekend. We're going to give The Matrix 4 this weekend. And nobody else would compete. And this is almost a cabal that they had created inside their industry to protect themselves. Well, they it's, they have to dominate their weekend because that's probably where they make 50 to 60% back of whatever they're going to come back with. And the thing on that is the runtime of movies. So you can only have so many showings per day. Mm-hmm. And then there's only so many screens because there's only so many theaters. Yeah. That has suddenly all now been washed away. Mm -hmm. Because you know what there is? There's an infinite number of televisions in people's houses. Have you ever done much digging into the concession piece aspect of movie sales? Does that factor into grosses? Like, you know, because you're putting people in the seats, or is that just solely the theater's profit to be earned? From the theater's point of view, it's huge. Mm -hmm. The gate split 
normally from ticket sales with production company and theater is 50-50, but concessions is, now we're talking food concessions. I don't mean like t-shirts that might have merchandising stuff. I mean concessions. Yeah. Raw 100%. The movie's production studios are not getting a cut of the popcorn. Yeah. Well, there's no cut of the popcorn to be had right now unless it's pop secret in your microwave. <laughs> So we have a, a we have a huge revenue issue here. Yeah, big and then, and then just as, so so Matt, I've been I've been following box office numbers. This is gonna crack you up because <laughs> like I've always been fascinated by movies, but it wasn't until you're gonna love this. It wasn't until Spider Man broke the opening week and it was the first film to make a hundred million. I was like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Like small potatoes, small now. potatoes now. So ever that's twenty two. I've been like an avid box office mojo just. Great website, by and the way. Enthusiast, just looking numbers, looking, and the thing that's always absent on that website, coincidentally, is what the what the movie costs to make. I've noticed that too. So, it's troubling when you read articles about films like Batman versus Superman or Star Wars and all these big films, or even kind of smaller films that are in the fifty to sixty range. When you read that, this film needs to make six hundred worldwide to break even, and I'm like. How the hell does that happen? And in this model that we're discussing, how do they break even on a total as astronomical as that? Here's where things got really weird, and you already alluded to it a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers and HBO Max made this announcement, and it was essentially the same time that they said the Justice League, per (laughs) Zack Snyder, and the original version, as as intended, was going to be coming in April in some manner. Ugh, is right. But we're going to do a whole pod. That's a cast coming <laughs> at some point forever. We've already decided. Three weeks. <laughs> it might be four weeks, they said. Yeah. Ten hours of footage. Goodness. Lot more cyborg from what I've read. Goodness. I know. But there's a whole piece. In, well, we'll save for that episode because there's a whole scandal saga that going in with that movie too. But So a, a, a couple days. That's like essentially Thanksgiving when that announcement comes. Mm-hmm. December 3rd, 90 minutes before Warner Brothers and HBO Max have a press conference that they're going to host, they contact all of the director, producer, talent elements for their next slate of films 90 minutes before the announcement yeah. and give them this. The yeah. whole slate of 2021 is going to VOD. There's nothing you can do about it. That's and the that. company that, re- no, there's nothing you, nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And it gets really interesting with Legendary. And we're yeah. going to, I want to talk about them specifically. 90 minutes, no chance to prep a statement. Mm-hmm. No chance to look into the numbers. It's just, hey, this is our lot. It's our property. If you don't like it, pound sand. Which is ninety minutes. Which is true on their part. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you make a when you make a film, and especially like if you make an indie film, and let's just say Francis Ford Coppola ponied up all of his finances to make Apocalypse. Now he owns that movie. Right. When you go through a big studio like this that ponies up two hundred million to help you make it, they own your movie. Mm-hmm. The director doesn't own it, the actors don't own it, so there is a bit of a gray area where they can play fast and loose with what they decide to do with it. You hear stories of this all the time, right? The yeah. production company buys this script and screw it up and fire the writers and after four iterations have to rehire the writers to save the project that they like happens all the time. Yeah. It's the corporate model that began in the nineteen eighties. With, I'm going to look up his name right here in just a minute. A guy that was hired from Six Flags to start the production arm of film at Warner. At Warner, Time Warner specifically. Mm-hmm. He was hired for six years. It's like 1988. And he made a very distinct choice at that time to move to an, an amusement park-like 
event, and this is a key word, event. Can I tell you what movie would probably broke what started that? Yeah, out? go. It yeah. had to be 1989's Batman. Had to have been. Had to. You're have talking been. about a film that's not only tied in with the big release window, but the merchandising aspect of it. And we see a change for six years of movies going from this really important piece of expressive art at best and shit at worst, but somewhere in that range Mm -hmm. to we want merchandising. We want quick. We want pretty. We want fast. We want thrilling. And then get out, get somebody else in like Mm -hmm. made to deliver fast food. Think roller coaster movie. Well, it's a monumental change in cinema. Yeah. It has not gone back from that. We haven't got away from that. In fact, yeah. if you look at where we are now, franchisability and get in, get out with the big thrilling experience is the norm for film. So I want to ask you real quick, and then we'll kind of get into some of the players and some of the criticisms that have been lobbied against this method here. How do you feel about this big announcement? Because you immediately call me. <laughs> You're like, you hear what they're going to do? Holy shit. And then I'm like... And HBO Max, at that time, they're on Roku now, but they weren't. So it was a, a ethical conversation. Well, is 70% of the population going to be watching a new release on their phones, this six-inch screen type of thing? So now we get into the dynamics of what a theatrical experience is versus what it's like at home. And I just, how do you feel about that? So this is a bit of a long answer, and I know that we're in agreement on this, so I'll do my part, and then I'll give it back to you to do your part on this. Okay. Here's my worry. Yeah. And I'm going to say troubling, like I'm not happy about well, this. Well, this is, the, this is the crux of why I wanted to do this episode is why it is troubling. Really troubling. Yeah. I will lay this out and I mean it. If you're somebody that does not want to go to the theaters for whatever reason, you don't have to then, now, or evermore. Yeah. Everything's going to be on video or DVD at some point. And if you don't go there will be my video gaming experience, which is I'm two years behind, Mm -hmm. so I can buy something cheap and I never have to pay $60 for it. There you go. You follow my Mm -hmm. my thought here with the movies? Yeah. For those that do want to go, I think you have now introduced a very interesting competitive player to this for a long time. Yeah. The small screen was considered the little brother to the big screen. I would argue... In the last five, possibly going back 10 years, yeah, the story and quality on the small screen is beating the quality in total on the big screen. Absolutely. TV's better than mm-hmm. film. That doesn't mean there's not good films. No. And there doesn't mean that there's not shitty TV. Anything on ABC, I would argue. It's, but for everything that's like the Dancing with the Stars, there's plenty. Like, And I'm talking the paid for- well, I'm talking HBO. Like HBO's show content is really good. So think about this, Jesse. Yeah. So- Jan 1, you and I are both excited because here comes season three of Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. If we binge that that day, it's still nine-ish hours, I guess. Yeah. However, whatever, seven hours, however many, five hours mm-hmm. to nine, 10 hours. If it's episodic like The Mandalorian, it's 12 hours or eight, or eight hours. Once a week. Once a week. Compare that to a singular standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Here's where I really start to get worried. Yeah, I go and I watch Wonder Woman for two and a half hours. And then I'm done. Yeah. So to to monetize that as a movie production entity, 
you have to keep churning content. So now we're moving back to a studio system that might be like the 1930s, 40s models where you're making a movie every two weeks and they were yeah. able to do that. Because they're cheap. Cookie cutter, cheap trash. Yeah. Which then creates an even bigger problem. Nothing goes to the theaters because you're so dissuaded because the quality is so bad and it's beaten so soundly in episodic television that now you're cutting off your nose to spite your face and we have a snowball effect. That's We're it. in real trouble. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never considered yet yeah, the cheap. The, yeah, go back to the 1930s. Yeah, where like they were making like an actor would make like 18 movies in a year. Contract players, I need you for two weeks. Here's your lines. It's going to be pretty much the same lines as the last movie. You're just in a suit this time versus a raincoat. One week shooting. So they'd make the whole movie and then they'd turn it out like a month later would be in the theaters. It probably cannot be done that fast now, but showrunners and the time that they have to fully develop a story. And there's problems with this too, because a lot of times series are made in television that have enough content for five shows and they make it into 10. Nonetheless. That happens all the time. Right, okay, and that's a fair criticism. And we've all sat through, oh God, we got to sit through the episode nine to get the season finale of 10. (laughs) That's just part of it. Yeah. That being said, Mm -hmm. it's still 10 hours. Yeah. And that's 10 hours individually with your control of what the viewer sees on that platform. If it's a movie fade in wonder woman starts fade out HBO max is off. I'm not going to go back and watch wonder woman again until we do it in the show a couple weeks. <laughs> There's no content. Yeah. Huge problem. Yeah. Okay. Let me hear your take on it now. Well, yeah, I'll take the kind of personal side of it too. Whereas I, I, if you just totaled up the hours I've spent in a movie theater, it equates to years. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's a lot of time spent sitting in there watching stuff, whether good, bad, ugly, <laughs> you know, whatever. I've seen all, all likes of it. But to replicate those types of experiences and Matt, where I'm kind of a, a little bit different than you is it's the sound, it's the picture quality, it's the just the whole kind of thing and like it sounds good in the living room. Like it sounds and looks good, but you can't replicate like a 50 foot movie screen with like 20 speakers surrounding you. You can't replicate. You could with a small group, like a movie night with like some buddies, but like a whole theater, like experiencing like a horror film on opening night is hard to duplicate in the house. Yeah. Seeing how people react to things. And like, as I said on the, sh- the last shot, I get more out of seeing people react than I think I get out of watching it. Now, here's another unforeseen factor that I didn't consider until this morning, actually. So I'm a big collector of physical media discs. So not only I think is the theater in kind of trouble with that type of atmosphere but if a film is so readily available on a streaming service a stream format and it's always there and it's always available doesn't a studio say well hey we can cut even more cost to turn more money to put out more crap if we just cut down on making discs because no one's buying discs anymore which is already a dying industry like physical media itself and if that goes away and the theater is in danger i'm in a lot of trouble (laughs) well i'm going to add to your worry on that yeah a significant piece of the movie is the distribution cost, mm-hmm. the P&A and all that. Yeah. What does that look like now? And I just want to save a fortune there. And I just want to say one thing about the the physical. Oh, yeah, you'd save so much. The Which o- is not good for the case you just made. Yeah, that the just o- furthers the it. The overhead for producing discs has to be immense. Immense. The other important part about physical media is 
film preservation. So whether it's an older film from the 30s or 40s that's already deteriorating in the Warner Brothers vaults because of wear and tear, because it's old, unless there's a reason to preserve it and do a 4K or a 2K restoration on that film print, those films are going to die. Physical media keeps those things alive because there's reason to keep all that history alive. So now we're talking about a film history aspect to it as well. So, yeah, there's a lot writing on this. Having the physical copy, whether it's a CD or a DVD or 4K or Blu-ray or whatever your chosen medium is, the tangible piece is still a component of revenue for some people. Mm Mm-hmm. Where this gets maybe a little less worrisome is the moratorium that the releases are going to have with them. They're out for a month and then they go away. And then from what I gathered, it will go through a means of distribution like you're talking about, which is if you want to buy the disc or put it on Amazon Prime, however you get your media. Mm -hmm. So that will, but are we sure? Yeah. And then look, man, one of the things that you and I both like are movie posters. And there's that feeling of walking down the hall at the beginning of the summer and seeing those different ones and the intrigue that goes along with the stuff that's the tangible pieces in this yeah. that I worry yeah. is going to go away. You brought up another interesting point too. Go ahead. You're going to say something. I'll come back. Oh, I do a movie poster. We could just do an Instagram post. Right. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you want to argue that the theater industry is semi antiquated and needs an overhaul, like then so be it. But what I would argue in response to that is what does it look like? If it, the argument is they need to be cleaner, I would just pose, have you ever been to a movie theater before? And what made you think it was ever clean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, sti- that stickiness that's your bottom of your feet. Yeah. That's 15 different things that you're tracking now into your like that's I mean part of the charm though. I I don't I'm with it. I kind of like when my feet stick to the floor. That sounds disgusting, but look, I'm not advocating go and like lick a door handle, although part of me kind of believes a little bit in that. Yeah. Yes. That's part of the whole experience. Yeah. No, it's I'd like baseball if it wasn't for all the pitched balls. I hate then you don't like baseball. I hate people talking in the movies, but that's kind of part of it too. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there's there's like the whole gamut of what it is to go to a movie with your friends or a date or your family and experience all of it is it's it's just it's just part of the fun. You brought up a really important point a minute ago. Yeah. And that's the color, the sound, the size, and the shape. It is an event or a spectacle. And there are some films that are suited for that. The one that we just cut this last weekend mm-hmm. on the show proper, that's not an IMAX type of viewing. Tight little drama. Bedford Falls is interesting, but it doesn't need to be no, no, in no. an expanse. Yeah. What's coming yeah. the next two, three weeks? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Spectacle, huge, big, shiny, with no IMAX, mm-hmm. with just whatever. And you might have a nice 72-inch TV. It's still going to pale in comparison to the size of the theater or IMAX. Ma- what happens is... Matt, I got to just just share a, just a little anecdote about the power of IMAX because I saw a re-release of Space Odyssey a couple of years back. And there's a point when they find the monolith on the moon and there's this just ear-shattering piercing sound. And when it was in there, I thought I was going to go deaf. 
really? it's that loud and they don't pull the punches on like the sound quality. They immerse you in the experience. So there's a reason IMAX's motto is experience and live a movie. Yeah. Is this just the next level of that? How do you have that at home? How do you make people go deaf in your house? <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there saying, well, that doesn't bother me because I don't go to, I'm not a Marvel guy. I don't like, I like my tight little dramas. Aha, to you, Mr. or Mrs. That guy or gal. You still like going. Here's where this is a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Those big, big movies, the Infinity Wars of the world, mm-hmm. fund your whiplashes. Yeah. Bold Films is not a standalone company. Yeah. They did the legwork to find the script. And then they took it to a big company and they put the P&A behind it. If there's not a windfall of surplus, a profit of money, what do you think goes away? It's not going to be the Infinity War. Yeah. It's going to be your tight little dramas that have a very important presence yeah. in most people's film going experience. It's, so this does it, have broad, like broad reaching implications for everyone. Unless the filmmakers are mortgaging their houses like... Francis Ford Coppola, which I doubt actors and actresses and directors in Hollywood are going to be doing to their own finances, but it's the ecosystem they created. The big finances, the small, and it's just this circle that just goes round and round and round. But can we talk a little bit about, because it's not just us up in arms, it's, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of people on our side about, we want to get back to the theater, this model's problematic. But man, you know, I, I'm a fan of the guy and good for him for just coming out and speaking out about Chazelle. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Nolan. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm at, I have a direct quote from, from what he has to say. So he came out like the day after. So some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed that night before thinking they were good, working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. And then he goes on to say, oh, dang it, I had it right here. Warner Brothers is an incredible machine for getting a filmmaker's work out everywhere, both in theaters and in the home, and they're dismantling it as we speak. They don't even understand what they're losing. Their decision makes no economic sense, and even the most casual Wall Street investor can see the difference between disruption and dysfunction. And I got to hand it to him because I looked it up, and the guy barred the prestige since Insomnia has made every film with this studio. He has carte blanche there. They essentially let him do whatever he does. Now, what does a studio do when you piss off literally maybe your most important influential filmmaker of the 2000s and the 2010s and you shoo him away to a different studio. You know what I mean? You're excited about Dune. Yes. What's the thing that makes you the most excited about Dune? The director? Chazelle, right? No, 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 no. no. Denny Villanueva. I mean Villanueva, sorry. Yeah, because he's in my same camp with them. Like there's two filmmakers that I think are doing unique and interesting things with film. They're They're experimenting a lot with the medium. I would venture that right now your two number one guys mm-hmm. are known Nolan and Villanueva. Denny Villanueva had some very interesting comments no, that matched Nolan's. Yeah, definitely. Did you read his? Mm-hmm. So essentially what he said is, look, this all goes back to a botched deal between AT&T and Time Warner and a really shitty rollout of HBO Max in May. And what's happened is because that was rolled out like crap and AT&T and Time Warner are literally on life support. What they've done is they've monetized this crisis in a way to breathe some necessity and impetus back into their business model to keep themselves afloat at the behest of the industry that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. Now, can I just speak, just add a little anecdote in there? The other side of me is so conflicted because as both of us kind of know, 
HBO Max is a pretty good streaming service. Like when you kind of yes. strip it down, all the best of the HBO shows. They have the Turner Classic Media Library. I love Looney Tunes. They got it all. Like it's, yeah, they have a nice they have a nice catalog. It's a really good and and I keep telling people I'm like, hey, if you're thinking of like I'm kind of done with Netflix or Prime, hey, look at HBO Max because they got some good stuff in there. So at the same time, I'm like really conflicted because I don't agree with the model. But I like what they're putting out on there, so I don't want that streaming service to go away. Because, but I see the betrayal by the directors. I mean, to not consult with them, these people that they're fostering relationships with, and it's all—you're talking about a business that's built entirely on relationships. <laughs> Dylan away, Denny villain away brings up some good points in there too. It is this hungry conglomerate trying to find sustainability. And a streaming model that is changing the way entertainment is viewed from ESPN to ABC across the board. Can I ask you this? And well, I, want, I want you to continue, but I, okay. I just want to ask you this. Is, is HBO just so under the gun right now because they acted first before the other streaming services? Yeah, but I mean, there's the argument, yes. But if it works out... Yeah, that's what I'm afraid they're of. They're the first one across the finish that's line. That's what I'm afraid of. And all we've talked about is all Disney has to say is, we're going to do that with Black Widow. Yeah, that's the... And it's over. It is, yeah. It's all gone. Because then Peacock has the Universal, and they yep. can do Fast and the Furious. Like the, now, Aren't you just think they're waiting to roll out Ryan Gosling and the Wolfman? Yes. you damn right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we are singular, not plural, singular decision, or maybe two away from... No going back. Now, Villain Wave said they're claiming, they being Warner Brothers and HBO Max, that this is only a one-year deal. But I don't think anyone thinks they're going to put this genie back in the bottle. And here's where things get even stickier. Mm -hmm. This gets to the fourth quarter of next year. Yeah. Matrix 4. Dune. Dune. Yeah. Those two. Kong versus Godzilla is the other big property owned by Legendary. Yeah. Prior to this arrangement that they had carved out with all subsidiaries of Warner Brothers, which includes Legendary being on the Warner Brothers lot, Legendary had already struck a deal. With Universal. With Netflix to take Kong Godzilla straight to streaming, Jesse. And Warner Brothers stepped in and said, the hell you're going to do that. We're releasing that theatrically. I only said Universal because Legendary is technically at Universal now. But what you said, they had negotiated a deal to release these movies. Their MonsterVerse was started at Warner Brothers, so they wanted a piece of that while they still had a chance. So know when it's at your... because Which is not a great ringing endorsement for what they think Legendary thinks Kong Godzilla is. Yeah. It is well, I, I wanted that to be good. It might be. I might be wrong. But it's just... That's an interesting route to go with that film. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, and, they, and they said, no, that's not happening. But now they said, oh, no, 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 we're not even consulting you. And this is happening. Mm -hmm. Dune's important. And you brought this up last week. It's funny that you brought that up because that is late in the year. It's uh, October, late in the year. So it seems like per people's health and the return to theaters, maybe that's back in play. Jesus, people are eventually going to have to make their peace with this. Well, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this right now. And so maybe that saves it. I don't know. Well, cheers to this. I hope I'm spending my birthday next year watching Dune in the IMAX to that. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting though, that the argument is no when it's, and, but again, we're playing with who owns the property and who owns the rights, but Denny Villanueva is not representing 
a voice that is singular in his industry. Yeah. People are pissed off. The only reason Patty Jenkins is quiet mm-hmm. is because they gave her $10 million of hush money to shut up about it. Now, is there room for both? Sure. But I want to emphasize the word both. There's room for both. Yeah, I was thinking about this too before you came over, and maybe it's just an adjustment to the theatrical window. Like maybe it's in the theaters for a shorter amount of time, which is already short enough as it is. You know what I mean? Well, with the backlog of films, it might have to be a week or two, and then you're moving on. Well, I remember when a film would come out in in May, and you couldn't buy it until like November. Yeah. Now it's like you can buy it in July, but maybe the window's shorter. Maybe it's in the theater for a month and a half to two months, and then you can own it and stream it like right after that. Like it's just, it's sooner to appease both sides of it. The thing that's, yeah, right, maybe. And maybe they're going to have to do that because here's the other th- part of the problem too, and maybe Warner Brothers has figured that, I'm not pro Warner Brothers, I don't know, what, this, it's so, this is such a gray thing, but maybe Warner Brothers is like, shit, we have a backlog of release dates that we've already pushed back once and we can't push back again, so these things have to come out no matter what. That's the argument that they're giving, and it makes sense yeah. until they find a way to monetize this in a way that they don't go back. Now, But doesn't it doesn't that push back all productions? I mean, if we push back Batman to 2022, doesn't that uh, stop you from making the next one of that until 2024? Like, now you're already years away from when you had initially planned. Yes. Now they have scripts piling up on their desks and... They can't do anything with them because they're so backlogged at this point. Okay, so that gets back to the point. Right, yes, I agree with you. But that gets back to the other point. And that's, meanwhile, TV and drama is producing seasons. And there's enough of them that are already established and going that there's never something not to watch. Yeah. So you take whatever movie X and you stream it, VOD, and it's over in two hours. And then we're waiting a year, two years, two and a half years for the next following piece in that story. Yeah. So then do you ramp up production and churn out a product that's not ready? Because the answer would seem to be yes. You can't. And then the reason is because... Unless you're, you're willing to put out crap. But then your talent is also tied up in a backlog of projects too. Right. So you're waiting. You can't make the next Batman because Pattinson's got to fulfill A, B, C, and D obligations before he can do that. So you go from having way too many movies crappily done to not enough movies to keep the industry going. Think about, right? I mean, yeah, so maybe it is like, (sighs) I'm not saying like, again, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but maybe in order to not be backed up with content, this is the only way to do it for this time. And I'm okay with that as long as it's for this short period of time where it's become a problem. And I think we're in agreement is if this becomes the norm which I think there's enough people to hopefully push back and filmmakers and directors. That's why I love Nolan is he sticks to his guns and now you have Danny Villanueva and Tarantino hasn't spoken up yet, but you know, he's in there. Now you got faces of the industry that are willing to push back. Then you're going to start to see a difference. I think it's funny that Nolan was the one against this because his movie is the one that's being used against the keep theaters alive argument, which would be tenant. Yeah. He insisted that it was theatrically released. Now, um, maybe more so overseas than it was here, but the movie did not do great box office wise, but it couldn't have because it was a suppressed market. Yeah. That can't be. And I don't know if that movie's for everybody anyway. Mm -hmm. We did it this week. Yeah. And again, we're going to get into that at some point. So I don't want to give too much away for the proper show that we'll do on it. But Mm -hmm. that 
that movie's not for everyone. No. So I don't know if that's the best litmus to use. That is, look, we have A-list talent, A-list director, profitable genre of film at a time when everyone goes and it didn't do very, eh, that's a bullshit argument for this one because mm-hmm. that's a tricky film to do that with. That is, that is not cut and dry in and out in two hours, summer kind of popcorny thing. That is not that film. Mm-hmm. It's a think piece that is arduous and not for everybody. Yeah. I don't mean are just in bad way. I just mean that it's that movie's no, I can't, I can't. So imagine. there, but the, to use that, Jesse, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah. Can but I tell it, you about, but, some, go ahead. But in doing so, you're pushing away someone that's turned out a lot of great content for you. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, we talked about Soderbergh a lot. Yeah. He has like three things that he's doing to straight VOD right now. Netflix. Yes. Yeah. You know, Scorsese well, and the Irishman was the beginning of that. And, uh, there can be a place for both, I think. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I was really troubled by this. So I started looking into some numbers and I found three interesting pieces of numbers that I thought I could at least relay to the people that are listening about the revenue piece. Because that's eventually the market and the size of the market is either going to make or break this. Yeah. Thought to myself, okay, what's the contract like that Warner and HBO Max did? It's individual and it can be changed after the inks on the paper, as we saw with Gal Gadot Mm -hmm. and Wonder Woman 4 and and Patty Jenkins. I saw three varying numbers in this. Number one is a floor of $10 million. Okay, so any movie that goes VOD gets a floor of $10 million. A flat rate. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. The other one was also a 50 50 revenue split of ticket sales, which if it's not in the theater, I'm not sure how you forecast that. Cause of course the movie studios are going to be like, well, this is going to make $700 billion. Yeah. So that's not a good number. Well, are they tapping into those foreign totals? Then? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. But the, most of the foreign totals pale in comparison to the American totals until you get to like the video on demand stuff. It gets messy when you bring in the foreign aspect because conversion rates and, but then sometimes paramount foreignly distributes a film like wonder woman right so right yeah then it gets it gets kind of yucky and then here's the third one that i thought was really interesting and that is the contracted language per licensing for the first month is for the production studio from hbo max 25 percent of the film's budget hmm. production budget so it's either a floor of 10 million dollars a 50 50 payout for revenue split on ticket sales or 25% of the film's overall production budget. So what's the what's the next big one? So like Wonder Woman was out where everyone had been waiting for that. I think I think it I think it might be I might be wrong. I have I, it. I think it might be Tom and Jerry <laughs> in February. Let me pull it up. Um uh the next of those kind of 17 films. Okay, so here we go. Yeah. Um January 29th of 2021, The Little Things with Denzel. It's a cop drama. Mm. Here's the synopsis. Again, you're talking about smaller films. Yeah. I'm talking about like, like the, the bigger formatted ones. He's a deputy sheriff, goes to LA and finds a serial killer. That's that one. Black Messiah um, sometimes looks like in February. I don't know if that's big, big. Tom and Jerry in March. Family, the- family animated. Recognizable. Yeah, sure. Okay, so that's March 5. And this is all changed. Here's, the, I think, what's the next big one. Okay. The Many Saints of Newark, which is the Sopranos Tony one. Soprano's origin story. I think that's a big one. 
No, <laughs> the, the, no. I'm just saying, isn't that like, oh, not, I, was, I, was like, I was like, aren't only people going to see that if you watch the show? I don't know. But I, a lot of people did watch that show, so maybe. Now we're to April 16, Reminiscence, which is uh, Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, God bless Rebecca Ferguson, mm-hmm. and Thandie Newton in a Westworld-y kind of thing. Um, May 21 is the next big one, Godzilla Kong. Yeah. So we have till May to figure this out. Like, <laughs> I think some of those will be profitable. Yeah, sure. But not like this is the first prize-winning pig to enter the uh, turnstable of revenue, right? And here's the other elephant in the room at the same time as like we're sputing out like how the industry is doing it. But at the same time, you and I are of very similar viewing uh, tendencies. We're going to watch it if it's on there. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. Like that's that's the thing. If yeah. it's there and available, I'm going to watch it. Uh, and... I would prefer to be watching it elsewhere, but if that option is not available, I am going to partake in what's being offered to me. It's okay. not like I can boycott the HBO Max. I just, I, just, right. I just went on saying how amazing it is. <laughs> no, fully giving this with the admission mm-hmm. that it's hypocritical because I know I'm going to be guilty of the sins that I'm railing against. Yeah. But we're only looking at one studio right now. Yeah. Warner Brothers. Yeah. We haven't talked about Universal or any of the other things that are out there. Yeah. Okay, so let me do a couple more. Um, June 4, Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. I know we'll both be there, although the director by that kind of scares me, but we'll see. After that, In the Heights, that's a hard pass for me. Um, That's June 18. Space Jam, July 16, and now we're into the full summer, summer slate. Kind of finishing up with their stuff for the summer. Suicide Squad on August 6. And then now we're into Dune on October 1. Yeah. Now, I want to, like, let me make this really clear. Mm -hmm. Where available, these are also going to be theatrical. Yeah. It's just places like, you know, where we are, where we're, like, locked down. Yeah. It's not available here. But where it's still available to be seen, there will be both options on the table. Yeah. So maybe, well, not maybe, for sure, that's a better model to see what this looks like and see what eyes on are like, cause here's the other thing that's really important on this. And I, like I keep going back to the financial piece cause I think that's, what's going to make or break it. Oh yeah. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a money business. If you and I don't have the ability to see a film in a theater and one of these, let's, let's say Godzilla Kong. And let's say you and I have our little cadre of Rye proper fanboy Godzilla Kongs and they all come over here to watch, then it's your streaming service, which is $14.99 a month, yeah. and the movie's free for the first month, yeah. and 10 sets of eyes watching it. There's no money there. 14, it's just one cost, yeah. One cost, that's one TV, because we're not watching that on your phone. Yeah. We're all going to put it on, we're going to fire it up on your TV, mm-hmm. and then we're going to, right? Yeah. So I think that's a silver lining here, is I don't see... A way around that. Now I know people sneak into movie theaters, but only like two to one, not fourteen to one, unless you just have some jackass working the ticket counter. I've only ever done that to just sneak in to watch a portion. I you go in the bathroom and wait, and then sneak out of the bathroom. No, I just walk in and I just like stand there and like on the uh, oh, yeah, against the handrails. Too. But like I've never like gone in to sit down and, like to experience it again. So that's going to be interesting because not only is that going to give them bad numbers on mm-hmm. how many people watch it. Cause they're just going to do it per stream. Yeah. But there's no way to monetize that 14 to one is not a good ratio. No. Yeah. Tickets need to be one to one. That's why they're making these crazy behind the scenes deals <laughs> to, 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 to make it, make it right and make it even on their, on their regard. But like, when does that catch up to them? 
they lose guys like Nolan and Villain Wave. Like Warner Brothers, as we know it, is going to be the DC property, and ugh, like they they're in they're in bad shape right now. I'll just say that right now. Look, Warner Brothers is ninety seven years of importance in the film industry. I've said for years that it's my favorite movie studio because they've turned out many of my favorite films because they are a very filmmaker uh, centric uh, studio. The talent that they have amassed is masterful, which is really puzzling why they can't make a good DC film, but that's a whole other shot someday. That's a shot for the Justice League uh, week, yeah. month, <laughs> cask. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe, let's let's hope, let's toast, maybe you and I are talking about something that we'll never have to worry about, yeah. and sooner or later, maybe we miss Tom and Jerry, <laughs> and then we're rescued. Maybe. I'd be, I'd be okay with missing Tom and Jerry. We'd still stream it, but, you know. I don't even know if I'm going to stream that. No, one. we wouldn't. That's but, just me lying. But uh, yeah, like we'll, we'll just kind of have to buckle up. This is going to be something to monitor throughout 2021 and see what's going to happen, what's going to fall, what's going to not fall. Let me. All right, I'm going to devil's advocate you for a second. Okay. If there was, if there was another shoe to drop, which one could it be? that wouldn't derail the film industry. So outside of Warner brothers, what's the other film that could go VOD. Now we've already had like soul, but yeah, I mean like Disney has some leeway with some of their stuff. Where can you find an out Jesse that goes to video on demand that doesn't take us down the road that you and I are forecasting anything that goes to Peacock, because I don't think everyone's completely 100% on board with that service yet. Um, so I think there there could be some salvageable because people be like, I'm not going to subscribe to that one. Like, I subscribed to too much already. I'm kicking myself. I should have looked up what's slated for theatrical release later in the year, but I I, should, I didn't. Here's the one I'm worried about, and we didn't we didn't get into it. I know what it is. But it's Bond. Yeah. It's No Time to Die is sitting there in April. Universal? No, uh, Sony. Sony. And Sony's been pretty mom because Sony's been reaping the benefits of people that have been bailing from Warner Brothers and going taking their stuff to, to Sony. If Sony decides to sell Bond to Prime or Netflix, which they've toyed around with doing, then yeah, what that's about PlayStation. I don't know if there's enough there yet, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think they could do that exclusively there. Like they they're in the market of shopping that to a big streaming service, and if they do, and it works, yeah, that, that then where I think uh, that that's problematic. That's that's not what you asked me. That that's actually making this worse. <laughs> Well, maybe the answer is, I don't know if they, I mean, some little rot drama no one will really care about. Well, I just want to say, too, um, when they, they were rumors, they were shopping Bond to Netflix, and they were asking for, like, 600-plus million to sell it. That's probably what they need to just break even, you know what I mean? Netflix said no, so if if they're selling them for less that price, and they're not breaking even, where are they turning profit? They're taking losses, and then... Well, that's the, good. The sick. Well, then the ecosystem is gonna fall apart. You know what I mean? So, if there's nowhere for it to go, well, then it has to come out of the theater and then bomb because there's nowhere else. So I don't know if, where the good lies in that. Well, it, it's good in that it kills this model, but bad in that it kills Sony's ability to make films like that. The one that I'm curious about is whichever is going to be the first one that they're going to offer up as the sacrificial lamb. Whichever first one goes theatrically, and I mean across all 50, assuming that that is sometime that's yeah. even in the conversation of time we're talking about. I think it might be Black Widow. Okay, if that's that one. Because, look, we live in a copycat society, especially right now. Yeah. 
And somebody's going to have to go through that and be like, no, no, it's fine. And here's what I saw. And here's the way it was safe or not or but, whatever. But didn't they already do that with tenant? <laughs> so, so early on though. Yeah. So early on. Yeah. Someone will and have. Then, but then, and not, not available everywhere. You and I would have been there. Yeah. I would have gone opening night. Yeah. Some, uh, someone's going to have to take one for the team. Okay. And, yeah. then, and then we'll, we'll have to kind of, kind of see where that lies. Is but. Black Widow the one? Might be. And it might be. It's huh? got to be something big enough that matters. You know what I mean? Can't they do Suicide Squad instead? I'm looking forward to that. Are you? James Gunn. Okay. It's going to be better than the last one. Okay. But DC, it's a perfect segue because that's what's coming up this next week. We've got a lot to talk about with that. But um, I guess buckle up, everybody, because mm-hmm. keep an eye on how, how this looks. And you might want to be number aficionados, much like Matt and myself, just to kind of see which way this is going to trend. So... Until then, Matt, cheers. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. If not, we're going to be down in the rest of this bottle and many bottles like that (laughs) to just make it make the pain go away. That's right. But we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.